just going to go right in, go right into the word because I believe this everything is just flowing together here. You know, this is a series that we've been on for a number of weeks now, and it's called "I Don't Care." That doesn't mean that we let go of our responsibilities or pursuing a life of a lack of excellence, but it's mainly making a decision of God. I'm going to trust you with the things that I should care about. You know, God never told us to carry our care or give him only the things that we can handle. That, that's never what he said. He told, told us to cast all, cast all, cast all your care upon me because what I, I care for you. So as we, as we begin tonight, realizing everything that I'm going to say tonight is based on understanding his care for you. That's what he cares about. That's what he cares about. He, he you know, th- this afternoon had a, quite a few things going on today and, 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 and some reports and different things I had. I had to walk through and, and process and get some direction from the Lord on. But I was reminded of the scripture, one of the scriptures we began with and in John chapter 14, where he says, let not your heart be troubled. Mm-hmm. Say that with me. Let not, let not your, heart be troubled. your heart be troubled. Say this, neither, neither. let it, let it. Be, afraid. be afraid. That that's, that's some absolute statements there, right? Let not your heart be troubled. And then Jesus doesn't have put some parentheses there. Well, these things you can worry about, but... But only these things. No, let not your heart be troubled. And, and you know, uh, just with being in Scripture and, and, and things, a lot of times you can get to a place where you are saying Scripture and you just say them so fast that you're like, you know, like John three sixteen for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believed in him not perish, but everlasting life. And, and you can say these Scriptures because you ha- they're, they're in your mind or you memorize them, but do you ever really possess the meaning of what they're saying? And so if you just take a moment in this scripture, let not your heart be troubled. Then today the Lord was saying, making it personal, Justin, let not your heart be troubled. See, we we need to meditate the word. The Bible tells us to meditate the word day and night and it will make our way prosperous, right? And we'll have good success. So good success is a product of what we meditate on, right? But meditation is, isn't just, meditation is not memorizing scripture. Amen. Meditation is, is, put it this way, chewing on scripture. <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled. You know, my heart had the, the, the opportunity to be troubled, but I had to get quiet enough and say, Justin, let not your heart be troubled. Justin, neither... Let it be afraid. And I kept doing that. I just kept doing it. Let not my heart be troubled. And it got to the point where I didn't even think about my trouble. Wasn't even thinking about what was going on. Another scripture we've been talking about in this series in Philippians 4 where it tells us to be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. There's no, there's no asterisks. And look at here and then down here. Now you can worry about this, 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 then this. No. 
Be anxious for nothing. Be, don't be full of care about anything. Don't allow anxiety to fill your heart about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your requests made known unto God. And the God of peace will garrison about your heart, right? And that peace that passes all understanding. Peace transcends our understanding. Peace is not a mental state of tranquility. Peace is a spiritual force. And it's something that you can't, com- you can't explain with your natural words. When you should be overwhelmed or you should be upset, you should be this. It's when you can tap into the peace of God... And there's just this supernatural peace, kind of like a bubble that you're in. Kind of like just a supernatural grace that is walking you through whatever you're going through. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm not sure if it was Vic or not, dealt with this scripture a little bit. But I just want to bring something out in here and then we'll, we'll kind of get, go forward. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank you, Father. Verse 6, it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. First, I want you to understand what he's talking about here in verse 6. He says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. What is, he, what is Paul referring to here? He's referring to creation. God, what was happening? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it, it, we know and it, it, that darkness, it was, it was a waste place. We know it was a place that was chaotic according to the, the Hebrew But here it says, and God commanded light to shine out of darkness. Meaning, in the midst of something that was chaotic, God commanded light to be. And then it says, and it has shined in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Meaning, when we accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, the same force that caused creation, the same force that took something chaotic and made it wonderful, is shining in our hearts. That same light, that same force is on the inside of us, right? And then it says, but we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. What was the treasure? It was the light that he commanded out of darkness. And we have this treasure. We have it. Not going to get it. We have it. This treasure in an earthen vessel. That the excellence and the power may be of God and not of us. Meaning, when we're going to overcome in life, it's not about our ability to overcome, but it's, it's being able to tap into the ability of what God's placed on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then it goes into verse 8. We are troubled in every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. How could he say those things? Why? Because he understood the treasure that was within him. He understood the treasure, this treasure that was an earthen vessel. He understood that he could make it through any circumstance. He could make it through any situation. And he knew, yeah, I might be troubled on every side, but you know what? I'm not distressed. Why? There's a treasure in me. The same treasure that turns something chaotic in the beginning is that same treasure that's on the inside of me. 
Don't carry your care. You're not meant to carry your care. Let's go to Mark chapter, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'm going to get into what we deal with tonight. Mark chapter 4. Thank you, Father, for your word. Wednesday night's kind of like Bible school. We just stay on the topic for whether it's eight or 14 weeks, and we just continue to over and over just hammer this in with the Holy Spirit wants us to learn and grow in as a church. Amen? Hallelujah. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On that same day evening had come, and he said to them, to the disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took... They took him with them just as he was in the boat in which he was sitting and other boats were with him. And a furious storm of wind of hurricane proportion arose and the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. But he himself was in the stern of the boat asleep on the leather cushion and they awoke him and they said to him, Master, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Here, here they just heard a word. They just saw God, just saw Jesus do some amazing things. And they said, we're going we to go to the other side. And as they get in the boat, this furious storm of wind comes, of a hurricane proportion. And it said the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. You see, when you're in the middle of the storm and waves are beating against you emotionally... Physically, in every area of your life, what happens is those waves beating against you, and it said the boat already became to be filled. It was being filled with what? Water. Now look at this in your personal life. When things are coming against you, the enemy is wanting your heart to be filled. He wants your heart to be filled with doubt. He wants your heart to be filled with fear. He wants your heart to be filled with hopelessness. The enemy, through the storm that you might be facing, in these hurricane proportion winds, he wants these things to come at you to fill your heart. You see, the enemy has a voice. Let me show you this in a few scriptures. You can just put them up on the screen. You don't need to turn there. I'll turn to them for the sake of time so you don't need to. And we'll come back there. But Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27, it says, You were peevish and discontented in your hearts and said, Because the Lord had hated us, he brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, think about this. He goes, You were discontented in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us. Now, really, did the Lord really come down and say, The Lord hates me? No, they got this thought from somewhere else. It says you became discontented. Why? Because you had some sort of idea that God hated you. Somehow the enemy told you that God is mad at you, that God, because of this or that and the other, God doesn't like you and God's mad at you. Then he says, then it says in verse 28, to what are we going up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt saying, now, this wasn't God. This was their brethren. See, the enemy will use your brethren. The enemy will use people around you. He'll use the media. He'll use all sorts of avenues that he can to cause you to be discontented in your heart. 
says, our brothers made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified to the heavens. And moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim ourselves. So here they're saying, they're saying, hey, our brethren told us this. See what happened? The enemy is taking, taking the, what they were saying to them and making what God was telling them to do, making what, what the giants bigger than what God could do. Okay, let's go, let me go to um, Psalms 41. Psalms 41, listen to this. From David's perspective, verse 5, he says, My enemies speak evil of me, saying, When will he die and his name perish? How would you like to have some enemies like that? <laughs> but you know what? The enemy, Satan, wants you to die. He wants your dreams to die. He wants your purpose to die. He wants the thing that God placed in your heart to die. And so here this enemy was speaking evil of him. And what was he saying? That his, he would die and his name would perish. Meaning, what, is, what does that mean, your name perish? Meaning you will, you will never leave a legacy. That's what name means there. That yet you're going to die and everything that you stood for, nothing. You'll leave no legacy. Verse 6 says, and when one comes to see me, he speaks falsehood and empty words. While his heart gathers mischievous gossip against me, when he goes away, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. Against me do they devise my hurt, imagining the worst for me. An evil disease, say they. Now, Now think about that. They speak falsehoods. They whisper against me. They devise my hurt, imagining the worst. An evil disease, say they, is poured out upon him and cleaves fast to him. See, they were going around and telling other people that he has a disease. You don't need to follow him. You don't want to follow him. Why, there's something wrong with him. And how that he is bedfast and he will not rise up again. See, the enemy was saying, look, hey, don't follow him. You know, because he has no future. He has no purpose. The enemy has a voice. Let's look at Psalms 55 real quick. And I'll go forward, just establishing this point that the enemy has a voice. Psalm chapter 55, verse 2. He says, attend to me and answer me. I'm restless and distraught in my complaint and I must moan. So first he starts at verse 1. He says, listen to my prayer. Because he is just overwhelmed right now. He says, attend to me and answer me. I'm restless and distraught and I'm distracted. And then it tells us why. At the noise of the enemy. I'm restless and distraught at the noise of the enemy. Sometimes we, we, we need to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. You need to stop listening to what the enemy is trying to tell you. Because what, it's gonna, what it calls you to do is to become distraught. Discontented. Because of the oppression and the threats of the wicked, for they would cast trouble upon me, and in wrath they persecute me. My heart is grievously pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. Horror and fright have overwhelmed me. And oh, I said, if I just had wings like a dove, for then I'd fly away and be at rest. Meaning, if I could just get away from here, I'd be okay. If I could just give up and quit, it would all be better. You see, we're not exempt from the voice of the enemy. You're not exempt from troubles in this world. You're not exempt from attacks of the enemy. We live in this world. 
You're not exempt from them. The question is, are you going to let the fear in? Are you going to let the fear in? If you let the voice in and you meditate on the voice, it turns to fear. And when it turns to fear, then it turns to oppression or terror. Let me prove that in scripture. Go to, go to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Because oppression is pressure. And that's the force that comes down on you that you that causes you to give up and quit. But the oppression didn't begin when you felt the pressure. The oppression began when you let the fear in. Let me show you that. It's Isaiah 54 verse 14. In righteousness shall thou be established. Meaning when you're established in righteousness, you'll not be moved. When you understand who you are in God, when you understand that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is the one that makes you righteous, then you'll be established. Because you know if God is with you, then he's going to walk you through this thing that, that you're through. In righteousness, you'll be established. And then, then it keeps saying, thou shalt be far from oppression. So when you're established in righteousness, you're going to be what? Far from pressure. Why? For you shall not fear. See, when you don't fear, you're far from oppression. Meditating on the fear is what turns into oppression. It's progression, discouragement. It didn't didn't begin when you first heard it. When you first heard it, you meditated on it enough, and then the fear came in, then the pressure came in. And a lot of times, the pressure is greater than what you're going through. The pressure of what you're feeling is more than the financial attack. The financial attack isn't giving you the pressure. What's giving you the pressure is the fear about the financial attack. Because we don't have right perspective. We don't see things from his viewpoint or see things from God's priority. You know, in our second session, I believe it was uh, Trey, you were talking about, about a child. You know, I, I, as a child, I spoke as a child and I put away childish things. You know, I, I, we love our, our granddaughter. She's awesome. And she has tons of toys. And, and, and you get to spend a lot of time with her. And she had this little thing about this big. And she called it her bear. And I don't know where she got it. And it was the, about this big. It was fluffy. It doesn't even look like a bear. But it has these two little squiggly eyes. It's this big and about that round. And the eyes came off. One eye came off. And she lost the eyes. You would have thought the world came to an end. You would have thought that. And she has all these toys like Snow White, 30 Barbies, all these things that have eyes that don't come off and all these things. But it was just this one little thing because it was what her perspective. It's like that child that that gets their ice cream cone and they're licking the ice cream cone and, and it falls on the ground. And it's see adults necessarily shouldn't be like that, I'll say. Because we know we can get more ice cream. It's like the the child losing the balloon. And that's the end of That was my balloon. That was my balloon. And they don't realize there's millions of balloons out there. Because they don't see things. And value the way God values things. And so we allow the fear to come in. And when the fear comes in, pressure, 
oppression and terror. Because if you keep reading here, it says, uh, it says, and be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear and from terror. Terror isn't fear. Fear is what brings about terror. For it shall not come near you. See, the oppression and terror can't come near you if you, we can come to a place where we learn how to resist the fear. You, can, you learn how to resist fear, you can resist terror and oppression. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The enemy has a voice. And he wants us to heed his voice and let it bring fear so that it can bring pressure. Go back to, you're still there. Mark chapter 4. Thank you, Father. Thank you for teaching us tonight, Lord. Use me to teach your word tonight. Hmm. Thank you, Father. You see, the enemy doesn't come at you to give you a bad day. There's this, there's this attitude that people have about, well, some people have the attitude, well, God's just testing me and trying me. Well, for one, God doesn't, will ever test you or try something he's redeemed you from. So God's never going to test you with, 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 with things if he redeemed with Jesus, paid the price for it on the cross. So the enemy doesn't come, he, he doesn't come to give you a bad day. We know, according to John 10, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Bottom line. Steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't come for Vic. I just want to give Vic a bad day today. No. He's ultimately, he wants you, he wants that one bad day to become a second bad day. A third bad day, a fourth bad day. Next thing you know, that fifth day, bad day, now it's affected your marriage. Then, then it's two days affecting your marriage, three days affecting your marriage. Next thing you know, you're off into something else, and, and you're into something else. And, and, and it all started with just one day. But it was never about one day, it was about your life. Amen. It was about your life. You have to understand, when they were going to the other side... It had nothing to do to see, see what the disciples were made of. It wasn't, well, I just want to see how much faith these 12 disciples had. No, it wasn't about that. It was the enemy trying to keep them from the other side. You have to understand on the other side, there was a demon-possessed man that needed to be set free. There was a demon-possessed man that had kept 10 cities bound and were in fear of him and so the whole aspect wasn't to see what the faith of the disciples was all about. It was to keep Jesus and the disciples from setting that man free to keep him setting 10 cities free. So your bad day that you're having, stop looking at yourself. What you're going through right now, stop having a pity party with yourself. Because the pity party is to keep you from reaching 10 cities. The pity party is to keep you from reaching your neighbor and the people around you. It's not about a bad day. Well, the enemy's just beating me up. No, he wants to kill you to keep who you're called to affect and who you're called to influence. So you have to understand this is so much bigger than just giving you a bad day. Stop entertaining the voice of the enemy. Thank you, Father. Seeing if the Lord wants me to go forward yet. Hallelujah. 
So it was beating into the ship until it was filled. If you're filled right now, you need to get a bucket and start pulling that water out. (laughs) If you don't know how to speak peace to it, you need to start getting a bucket and getting that water out. But Jesus, he was in the stern of the boat asleep on a leather cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Master, do you not care? Now think about this. It didn't say Jesus himself was interceding in the back of the boat. No, he was asleep in the back of the boat. He was asleep in the back of the boat. Now think about this with me. If Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat... What should we do? Let that sink in for a moment. If Jesus was sleeping through a storm, what should we do? I I remember uh, when I... When I first came, I came to Bible school here, started working for JSMI in 1999... I uh, worked in production. A uh, year after that, I started traveling with Dr. Savell. And at that time, uh, we, we had a jet. And, and um, I would travel 21 days out of the month with him from different places, different churches. And, and I would do the book tables and, and things like that and, and, and help him and assist him. Did that for about a year or so before I started developing the correspondence school and, and, and doing that, the first level of it. And, and, and so uh, we were traveling. And this is one of my first... Uh, long, longer plane ride. We did, we did a couple that were like one day here and we, we'd fly back the same night. Well, this was a long one. We flew all the way to Canada. We stopped in Maine, refueled, went to, went to, um, uh, New Brunswick, Canada, and we came back through, had to go to Maine again and go through customs and, and then we flew to Michigan. We were there for a night. Then we were in Minnesota and we did a couple services there and, and, and so we'd been gone for about, a, about a week or so. I can't remember actually how long it was, but Dr. Savell had some things he needed to get back for. So, we were at Mac Hammond's church on a Sunday night, and, and, and he was like, you know, Justin, we need, we need to get all your stuff together because we need to leave because we have a short window. Our pilot told us we have a short window to get out because there's a storm coming, and we have this window that we need to hit to, to get through the storm and to get above it and, and everything. So as soon as the service is over, you know, we you know, got in the car, head to the airport, and we take off. And I, and I see lightning off in the distance, different places. And, and we, we take off (laughs) and, and we're up and man, it was lightning everywhere. All I could see lightning under me over here and, and lightning and planes don't mix. That's not something that you really want to, but the pilot said, we have a window and, and Dr. Savell was very good. If he didn't feel good about it, we stayed. There's times we stayed two extra days at places, even though he wasn't ministering because he just had it in a check, you know, we need to stay here. We need to stay here. And I, and I trusted that. He felt like this is, this is okay, this, we need to go. And there was times, and, you know, it's not like in a 737 or 747 when you hit turbulence. I mean, you know, you, you little, little drops, but, but you're talking about dropping like 500 feet in like one, like one, like just one moment. It, it's, it, it'll wake you up. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm looking out the window, <laughs> Brandon, the Holy Ghost, of course, and, and I'm going... I'm looking at Dr. Savell, and he looks asleep. I'm looking at the pilot, and hey, both pilots, they're calm. And I was like, okay, if they're calm, I'm calm. 
We land, and Ron Schuster, a pilot at the time, he, we get off, and he hits me in the shoes. Bumpy, wasn't it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's some white knuckling going on right there, you know? And, and he, he told me this. He goes, Justin, always remember this. Planes were made to fly. He, and then he, then he said this, he goes, he goes, I flew this plane, was a prototype in 1978 or whatever. And he goes, this plane flies better upside down than it does right side up. And I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> but what happened when I saw that they were at peace and I saw he was okay. Yeah, there was a, there was a tendency on the inside of me to be like, okay, all right, all right, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because I was looking at them. So the disciples, they, they should have been looking at Jesus. What, what's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing? What would Jesus do? I know it's a, a statement with a good little wristband there. WWJD. What would Jesus do? It is an amazing statement. What would Jesus do? Now, see, it doesn't mean that you don't experience the temptation to fear. It doesn't mean that the fear isn't going to come. It just means, are you going to let it pressure you? What did Paul say? I'm pressed on every side. Meaning that it's there. You know what? I'm not in despair. I'm not in despair. And the thing about this is when they woke him up. Thank you, Father. It says he was on a cushion and they awoke him and they said to him, Master do you not care that we're perishing? They didn't ask Jesus, what do we do? They asked Jesus, don't you care? See, it's one thing to question God's ability, but it's another thing to question his heart. They didn't ask, what should we do? They asked, why don't you care? See, fear and don't care go together. Because you're fearful because you really don't know how much he cares. Because when we talk about not caring, now we're talking about the nature of the father. And his nature and who he is is love. Why don't you care? Now, I don't want to see a show of hands. Read honest says we've all said it. Why don't you care? Don't you see what I'm going through? God, how come you didn't answer my prayer? God, how come this didn't happen? We may not ever say it of our mouth to anyone, but we've all thought it. How come you don't care? It's questioning his love. Of course he cares. Of course he cares. What does Jesus care about? He cares about you. He didn't care about the storm. Jesus got up, we know, and it says, he said, peace, be still. How could he say peace, be still? Because it was what he was filled with. John chapter 1 tells us what he was filled with. He said he was filled with grace and truth. He was filled with grace and truth. 
What does that mean? It means when you understand the word of God and you understand the ability of God, you can sleep through every storm. Why don't you care? You know, God, what we, what we care about and the world cares about and what God cares about are two different things. In Luke chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, I'm just going to read this real quick in the New Living. It says, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. What the world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Meaning, what God values and what man values don't match up. And a lot of times, we're worried about things that he doesn't value. Let's go to Luke 10. Luke 10. Thank you, Father. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overoccupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me to lend a hand to do her part. Mm. Thank you, Father. King James says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, to help me. What was Martha's issue? Don't you care? Don't you care? My my sister over there, this this sister of mine, the one that, that everything goes good for her, that one. Why don't you tell her to get herself up and help me? You see, it said that Martha welcomed him and received him into her house, but he, she never spent time with him. It's interesting. It said that, he, that she welcomed and received him into her house, but yet she's not the one that was at his feet. See, it's possible to welcome him into our situation, but not sit at his feet. It's welcome to, to, to welcome him into our storm, but do we sit at his feet? And so what was happening with Martha, two things were happening. She was first, she was offended at God. She was offended. Why aren't you doing something about this? She's offended at God. And she's offended at her sister. Why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do something about this? Amplified says, but Martha, overoccupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. We have to be honest. We're too busy. We're too busy. That's really what I believe the word the Lord had for us after worship. Just too busy. We're too busy. And we can be addicted to busy. And then be, don't you care? Don't you care? Because the other attitude, well, someone's got to do something about this. Someone's, you know, we have all these people in our house and somebody has to do that. If we don't do this, then, then, then you know what? No one's going to be able to eat. 
Or would they? Maybe this would have been the third time Jesus multiplied fish and loaves. Maybe Martha was doing something that Jesus was planning on doing. But when we, when we get so busy, we make ourselves Lord. Instead of making him Lord. Will we take the time to be still enough and sit at his feet? Jesus wanted Martha to know what the most important thing was. And that was sitting at Jesus' feet. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Let me close with this. Psalms 55. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Cast every care on you, Father, because you care for us. Hmm. Thank you, Father. Hmm. And we talked about the noise of the enemy in this scripture. And remember, he's, he cried out and, and was like, I'm distraught in my complaint because of the noise of the enemy. But one thing that we always see with David is David knew how to process what he was facing. He knew how, okay, I'm overwhelmed right now, but he knew where to go. We know where he went. Verse 16, he says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. As for me, I will call upon God. It's interesting that he goes through this whole thing of all this stuff happening to him that he would like to fly away. You know, and you got to realize this was personal to David. This was personal. I wouldn't plan on sharing this aspect with it. But, but in this story, he, he talks about, you know, how this came. The, no, what was the noise of the enemy? It was someone that was close to him. He said, it was my brother. We walked hand in hand to the house of the Lord together. So the person that was, he was experiencing all this stuff was someone that he was, he was close with. You know what? It's hard for you to get offended by someone you don't know. If you don't know someone, you just brush it off. But when it's someone that's personal to you. So this was something personal that David had to deal with. And no matter how personal it was. And no matter how personal it is. And what you feel, you're to never to make it more than God. He had to say, you know what? This was personal to me. You know what? But as for me, I will call upon God. And the Lord will save me. Evening and at morning and at noon will I utter my complaint and moan and sigh. And what? And he will hear my voice. He has redeemed my life in peace from the battle that was against me. I like the King James in verse 18. He says, he has delivered my soul in peace. How did he deliver his soul? What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So he had to bring it to God. As he brought it to God, he, was, he delivered me. Set, me, set my soul in peace from the battle that was warring against me. For there were many with me. Hallelujah. Let's go to verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Amplified says, cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it. And he will sustain you. What does sustain? Meaning to, to support 
When you lift it up, when you talk about someone in, in, in music sustaining a note, what does that mean? Holding it until. So here it says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. See, the key is casting your burden, casting the care. Because if you're, if you're not casting the care, he can't sustain you. Because what? The care is. The, cares, the, cares, the care is carrying you. But when you cast it on him, he can carry you. Yeah. Releasing the weight of it and he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. And then he puts, says this, but you, O God, will bring down the wicked into destruction. Men of bloody and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Lean on and confidently rely on you. And God is pretty much saying, God, I give them to you. They're not, they're not my care anymore. I'm going to trust in you. Yeah, I think of Paul. You know, there's a time that he experienced personal attacks. And it's interesting. In 1 Timothy, he talks about, about Hymaeus and Alexander. And he, he talks about them. And he's, he's like, pretty much kill him, Lord. <laughs> You know, it's just this attitude, just, just do something about it, destruct them, hand them over to the destruction of their souls, is what he says. But I believe Paul had a change of heart. Because at the end of Second Peter chapter 4, when he was on trial, he said, he goes, when I was on, my, on, on trial, he said, no one stood with me. He said, all forsook me. Wow. And he said, you know, and Hymaeus, he didn't bring up Alexander anymore. He says, Hymaeus, he goes, Lord, reward him for his works. Wow. He wasn't saying, hand them to Satan for the destruction of their soul. Now he's like, you know what? They're not my care anymore. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And we thank you. For the empowerment that it brings to our life. I thank you for the anointing that's in this place. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit that's in this place. That's causing people to rise above their hurt, their fear. Their offense. Their anger. That tonight they'll shut the door to the enemy. They'll shut the door to the words and the voice of the enemy. And they'll trust in you. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Mm. Mm. your peace. Peace be still. Peace be still. Mm. A lot of times when you're worked up in your emotions and you're listening to the voice of the enemy, you can't hear the wisdom you need to hear. 
you can't see the open door for the sake of the doors that you thought were thought closed. So take time to spend at the feet of Jesus. Because there, it's at that place. You shall not want. It's at that place. You'll be at rest. And when you're at rest, you can lay down like Jesus and just sleep until you get to the other side and do what he called you to do. Do you receive that tonight, Father? Do you receive that? Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you for your word. Just say, I receive your word into my heart. I cast every care upon you because you care for me. I repent for holding on to fear. I repent for holding on to things I should have given to you. Thank you, Father, that you give me the victory in every area of my life. In Jesus' name, give him a shout of praise.